Well, I invite you to open your Bibles to the book of Ephesians chapter 5, or turn on your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 5, whichever you prefer. And we have been in the book of Ephesians now since the fall, so we've spent a lot of time here in the book. And, and one of the reasons, again, just as by way of reminder, of why we chose to study this in the first place is because this is a letter written to a group of Christians in this region called Ephesus, this ancient city of Ephesus. And they were a people who lived in a culture that was very similar to the modern city of Encinitas. Their culture, their mindset, their philosophy, the way they went about life was very similar to the world that you and I live in today. They had a belief in, uh, they were a very successful city, a lot of commerce, they were very spiritual. Uh, They had a philosophy, as we talked about last week, that was very much about seek pleasure, avoid pain, and don't inconvenience anyone. So one of their prevailing thoughts were, hey, live the way you want to live, do what you think is right, make your own truth, and what works for you might not work for me, but as long as it works for you and you don't bug me, do it. Have the freedom. So it was a world that was very much like the one that we live in. So when we were thinking a year ago about what we'd study beginning in the fall and throughout this whole year, we thought that'd be a great book for us to study so we can understand Christians very much like us, trying to figure out how to live out their faith in a world like ours. So that's why we've been jumping in and looking at it. And by way of reminder, the first uh, three chapters, Paul establishes the idea that it's about God and your identity as a child of God, and your citizen of heaven, and it's now what is true of you. And then verses four, or chapters 4 through 6 are about, since this is true of you, your new identity as a child of God, citizen of heaven, um, Now this is how to live. So we've been the last several weeks studying how do we live in light of this truth. A couple weeks ago, we began in chapter 5 with this idea of one of the ways that we live in light of this truth is be imitators of God and love as He loved. It was a sacrificial love, a love that was very selfless. That was in contrast to the next week when we studied uh, impurity and immorality that was a selfish type of not even love but lust. What can I get? What will feed me even at the expense of others? That was in contrast to the love of Christ. Last week we talked about what it means to be people who are light. Light in a world where there's darkness. How do we live as children of light? And so that's kind of what leads us into today. And today as we continue in Ephesians chapter 5, Paul continues this theme of how to live, but now he has a new theme. And it's walk in wisdom. And I don't know about you, but walking in wisdom sounds like a good thing. It's a good idea for me, I think. I would love if people say, wow, you seem to be wise in the way you live your lives. And so Paul today gives us that challenge and that instruction to say, be wise in how you live. So join me as we open up the book of Ephesians in chapter 5. We're going to pick it up in verse 15 this morning. And as Paul begins, he says this, in verse 15, Therefore, be careful how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise people. So let's stop right there. Now, one of the things that we like to do as we work through Scripture together on Sunday morning is learn how we can process this even on our own. So anytime you get to the word in Scripture, and we've said this before, but when you get to the word that says, therefore, you want to always ask, what is the therefore, therefore? 
And that, that's a, a good way to interpret and understand Scripture. So when we, he starts with therefore, we want to go back a little bit. In light of last week and even how he ends, he says, Awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. You have a new life in Christ, and the light of Christ, the glory of God, shines on you as you live for him. It's light in a dark world. Therefore, because this is who you are, because the light of Christ is shining on you, therefore, be careful how you walk, not as fools, as some translations would say, but as wise people. So let's now look at this a little more carefully. The structure of the Greek here actually has a word that most of our Bibles don't even use. It has this word to look at. And essentially it's look over or look at your walk. And then there's an adverb in there called be careful or carefully. So it's look or be sure that you walk carefully. And most scholars would agree that that carefully should be connected to the walk. Now walk here. Anytime we encounter it in Ephesians, means it's this word means walking around or as you live and go throughout your days. It's not a destination that you get to and say, okay, I walked here. It's as you go throughout your days, as you walk around in the life that you're living, is what this refers to. So he says, as you walk around, as you're living the life you live, be sure that you live carefully or walk carefully. Now, a little greater understanding to the word carefully. When you look at the word here, careful, you can translate it to say careful. Uh, (laughs) There's a couple other ways, actually. It's careful, but it also is often used to be accurate or very precise. The writer Luke, when he's writing the book of Luke and Acts, he begins by saying, I thoroughly investigated the story about Jesus. I've examined all the accounts of his life. And now I have made sure that I write this down very carefully or precisely, accurately. So if we think of it in those ways, now let's read that verse. Therefore, because Christ is shining on you, because you are light, make sure that as you walk around, you do that very precisely. Be very intentional in how you walk and go throughout your days. When I was in college, I lived up in the Northwest and I uh, had a habit of, I went snow skiing all the time. I loved to ski. I, I raced competitively and I also did a lot of backcountry skiing and I even had some hookups through uh, at a, a large ski company. So I got free equipment, which when you're in college, that's like gold. I mean, a free hot dog's amazing in college, but this free ski equipment was fantastic. So we, we spent a lot of time skiing and one friend and I of mine and I, we, we, Spent a lot of time in the mountains. And in the summer, we would go down to Mount Hood in Oregon. And Mount Hood is a volcano in in the northwest, and it's covered with a glacier year-round. And there's a ski resort there called Timberline. It's called Timberline because it's so high, it's actually above the Timberline. There's no trees there. It's up on the glacier. And it would be open throughout the summer, so you could ski there in August. So we would go up there and, and ski. And one day we were there, and it was our final run of the day and they closed the slopes at about 2 p.m. in the summer because it actually get pretty warm it'd be in the 70s and they wanted you off the slope so we the last run we took the lift as far up as it went and at 2 p.m. we said hey we were going to have a fun last run so we strapped our skis on our back as we often would do we decided to hike as far as close to the summit as we could get 
So we went hiking and, and, and hiked up for several hours. And once we kind of got bored and decided it's time to ski down, uh, we strapped the skis on and, and enjoyed probably one of the longest, most enjoyable runs of my life. Uh, we went nonstop for, it seemed like, I don't know how long it was, it was a half hour, 45 minutes without even stopping. A long way down the mountain. It was a blast. And uh, when we got there, uh, the way it is as, as well at Mount Hood in the summer, as the glacier, as it recedes, you eventually run out of snow. And even at the ski resort, you would often have to take the lift back down to the parking lot if they were out of snow. But you could often find little fingers of the glacier that, that went down so you could get pretty far if you're willing to walk a little bit. And so we just said, let's just take this as far as it goes. Let's, it's so much fun. There's nobody around us. We kind of went off a little bit on the trail and went to on the uh, right side of the mountain and just kept going down like, this is a blast. So let's go as far and then we'll just at the bottom pull off our skis and walk to the parking lot. So we did that and we went and went and eventually we had a small path of snow and got to where there's no more snow. So we popped off our skis and we looked and we realized we were over on a little peak and we had to go down this, uh, hike down a little valley and back up and the parking lot was on the other side of that. So we popped off our skis, walked down this little, small little valley and back up to the top, but the parking lot wasn't there. It had been moved. (laughs) So we said, well, I thought it would be here. So we looked over and from where we were, we could see over one valley and the next and the next and realized the parking lot was nowhere in sight. We were pretty far off the track, had no idea. See, those of you who are very good at geometry might be able to figure this out a little bit. See, it's kind of cone-shaped mountain. (laughs) So if you decide to to go a little bit to the right when you start at the top, you keep going this way. (laughs) And and the, the longer you go, the farther you get from where you thought you were going. But I got a D in geometry, so <laughs> so we had gone what turned out later to be probably we were about 10 miles from the parking lot. And when we got to the bottom, then we, and we realized we're a lot further off than we thought. We looked and we saw highway in the distance. We thought, well, we could hike through the, through the woods. It's only about five or six miles to the highway. We could do that. <laughs> We could keep going up and down all of these valleys, which was a lot of work, and we could do that. But what we did in the end is we decided the smartest thing to do was we know that the ski resort's somewhere on this mountain. (laughs) So the only thing we could do is hike back up the way we came down and find our way back over. And it ended up being very smart to do that. (laughs) But here's the point. When we began our journey, the only thing on our mind was to ski and enjoy the slope. That's the only thing on our mind. We had no thought about how, what it would take to get to the parking lot. We thought, we'll get there. But one small little course crea- correction made us not just a little bit off, but completely off. We didn't consider the greater mission, and so we didn't proceed with caution or carefully or accurately intentionally. In the Christian life, Paul is bringing up some language here that's very much like this. He doesn't want us to find ourselves saying, it seems fine, and then one day you wake up and realize the parking lot's 12 miles away. I'm on the back half of the mountain because I just kind of went throughout my days. 
Paul says, no, be very accurate, very, very intentional in how you walk so that you understand how to get to the parking lot, what the mission is. And that, Paul said, that is people who are wise, not fools. Now, throughout Scripture, when you have this terminology of wisdom and fools, it's always, almost always connected to understanding your position before God and your place in His story. See, the beginning of wisdom, we're told, or the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, according to Scripture. Understanding that God is God and you are not is the beginning of wisdom. Contrast that with the fool says in his heart there is no God. The fool thinks that they are God and in control of all things. So when you have wisdom language in Scripture, it's almost always connected to understanding your position before God and your place in His story. See, the other part of wisdom is understanding that this is God's story that we're participating in and understanding His mission. And God's concern about creation is He is desperately um, involved and, and, and cares about restoring and redeeming that which is lost. Jesus reminds us of that time and time again. And so God's mission on earth is to take creation that started off whole and complete and in peace, and when sin entered, it became broken and further and further off course. And since that time, God's mission is to restore and redeem that which is broken and that which is no longer in line with Him. So God's mission for His people are to join with Him in restoring and redeeming His creation, His people. So Paul says that's the... The key to wisdom is walking accurately, knowing what, where you fit with that mission, and following this course. That's where wisdom is found. So now let's, the next few verses kind of paint a better picture of it. So let's jump into those. In verse 16, he says, okay, so walk, be sure that you walk not as fools, but as wise people. Make the most of your time, because the days are evil. Now, when speaking of the days are evil, this is not, you're, you're surrounded by devil worshipers and things like that. But the days are evil is representative of a community or a culture that does not acknowledge God. They don't follow God. It's a world where people do what is right in their own eyes. A world where people say, we don't need a divine being to get what we get need. We'll just live our lives. The days are evil when God is not a part of the, the daily rhythms. And so... Paul says, make the most of your time. That's a mark of someone who understands a mission, who's walking accurately, is making the most of your time. Now, what does that mean? Let's jump over to the book of Colossians chapter 4, and I have these verses on the screen for those of you who prefer. And we often use the book of Colossians because in some ways it parallels the book of Ephesians. It's written to a similar group of people in a similar region and, and with the same themes. And sometimes he expands more in one book than in the other. And here, in verse chap- uh, chapter 4, verse 5, Paul writes this, Conduct yourselves with wisdom towards outsiders, making the most of, of the opportunity. So it's the same terminology there. Let your speech always be filled with grace, as though seasoned with salt, so that you will know how to respond to each person. So in this case, we see that Paul is writing and saying, one of the marks of someone who is walking carefully is people who get how to make the most of their opportunity. Now, what opportunities? And here I think it explains it. 
how we conduct ourselves towards outsiders. Now this isn't a picture of there's an inside club and an outside. What it is is those who have not yet acknowledged that Jesus Christ is Lord. Those who do not follow Jesus. He says be very careful on how you conduct yourselves among those who don't follow Jesus. Let your conversations be filled with grace as though seasoned with salt. I love this. Last week, uh, I spoke about light. And one of the things that we looked at as people who are children of light is filled with goodness, so a concern for others. Filled with righteousness or relationships that are in order. And truth. And after that message, my wife and I were talking, and, and, and one of the points I made is often the light is very attractive. And we had a conversation, and she said, yeah, you know, but Ryan, when you live for truth and stand for something, that's not always attractive to others. In fact, we live in a world that if you say what you believe is true and say, well, I believe that what God has instructed me in the Bible is true, that doesn't necessarily attract the masses. <laughs> in fact, Jesus himself gave sermons when people walked away during it and said, this is too tough, we're not interested. And Dale and I are very grateful that most of you at least wait till the end of the sermon before you walk away. <laughs> but sometimes truth doesn't come across all that attractive to those who don't want to hear it. And there's a tough balance to walk there. But I believe the answer is found here in Colossians chapter 4. Let your conversations be are filled with grace as though seasoned with salt. The words and the way you present, the way you interact with others, let it be like salt that either preserves or gives flavor. It's something that is useful instead of not useful conversations, words that are wasted. But get, don't forget, filled with grace is the salt here. A year ago, I attended a conference called the Q Conference. It was in Boston. It happened again this last week in Denver. I wasn't able to go this year. But uh, the whole point of it, Q stands for questions. And the point is that it's a gathering of Christian leaders, pastors, teachers, business leaders, writers, authors, all kinds of people who gather together to kind of process current culture and wrestle with tough questions. And in one of the sessions, the founder of Q, a guy named Gabe Lyons, uh, hosted a conversation with a guy named Andrew Sullivan. Andrew Sullivan is a prominent journalist in the Northeast, in the Boston area. Very successful, intelligent guy. He also uh, has been very outspoken about a lot of his beliefs. And he is one who had one of the very first acknowledged uh, gay marriages in our country with his partner. So here at Q Conference, we have Gabe Lyons, who's a Christian, uh, loves the Lord, trying to figure out how Christians should live in our culture on stage with someone who has a very different viewpoint. And they had a conversation together, and one of the great things that happened is in their conversation, Gabe uh, was talking with Andrew and said, I want to apologize on behalf of the Christian community, not for our beliefs in Scripture, but for the way we have misapplied or the way we have interacted and treated you and those in your community over the years. We've treated you as less than citizens. We've treated you as people who aren't created in the image of God, who aren't loved by the Creator. And 
I'm sorry, will you forgive me? And Andrew Sullivan, again, known for his writings and his teachings, looked at Gabe Lyons and says, you have my forgiveness. And then he went on and said, I apologize for those in the LGBT community, how we like to find situations to put you on the defensive and even make you look stupid and even go after you. And I'm sorry, will you forgive me? And Gabe said, yes, of course. Now in this place, they didn't come to some agreement and say, okay, good, we both agree. But what we witnessed was what a conversation that seasoned with salt looks like. A conversation that was filled with grace. And in it, they even had some pretty sharp uh, contrasts and disagreements and uh, talked about their beliefs with one another and did not compromise, but did it seasoned with grace. And at the end, they could walk off as friends, and they are friends to this day. And it was a picture of what it, it looks like when we stay on track, be very intentional, live for truth, but season the conversations with grace. Seeing people as God sees them. And it's not about trying to be right or win the day, win the conversation, convince someone that, you are, that you've thought through it more. You can stand for truth in a way that's filled with grace. And it's challenging. That is challenging. I wish I could give you the formula that works in every conversation. I don't have it. We will stumble through this. I know in my life I've had times where as I look back, I think, wow, I probably blew that conversation and that person may never be interested in Christianity the rest of their lives because of the way I said what I just said. Great. (laughs) And I've learned and grown through that. Now, if you're in the same boat I'm in, where you can wish you could say things differently and go back, just know this, you're not God, God's God, and he can use anything. And he can even redeem your mistakes because that's what he does daily with us. So there's still hope. There's still hope. I love also in Acts chapter 26, Paul is speaking to King Agrippa and he's telling him about truth. And and Agrippa responds to Paul this way. He says, Paul, are you kidding me? Do you think that in such a short time you can convince me to be a Christian? And I love this response of Paul. Seasoned with grace, he says, Agrippa, I don't know, either a short time or a long time, my prayer for you is that you can be what I am, a follower of Jesus, except for these chains. (laughs) Seasoned with grace. Like, I'm not going to debate you. It's okay. But I care about you, and I'm praying for you. I I love that response. So a mark of someone with wisdom is you're making the most of your time, your conversations, your opportunities. The next thing is this. This is in verse 17. I'm in the wrong book. Verse 17 says this, and so don't be foolish. So he goes back to the wisdom language again. And understand what the will of the Lord is. Doesn't this sound great? How many of you want to know what the will of the Lord is for your life? You don't have to raise your hand, but I think most of us want to know, right? We want to know, God, just tell me exactly what you want. And if I have it, just write it out and I'll follow it as long as I know it's from you. I want to know your will. I don't believe this passage actually is talking about specific things like, God, should I marry this person or not? Should I take this job or not? Should I move uh, to Iowa or stay here in San Diego? I don't think it's actually talking about understand the will of the Lord for those specific things, although, let me make a point, 
I do think it's very wise when you have big decisions to turn to the Lord in prayer, to ask for wisdom, to seek counsel, to say, God, I, and one of the ways my wife and I do this is, God, we think that this is the decision you want for us. We think that this is the path that we should go down. So we're going to start going down this path. If we're off the rails, can you just close the door? Because we're not smart enough to figure it out. <laughs> and there have been times when God just clearly, something happened and the door just closed. And we went, oh good, thank you. Because we almost did this. So there are those times when we seek the Lord with, for wisdom. But this is, I believe, speaking about something even bigger. Because again, it's connected to wisdom language and the will of God. And it's talking about his greater plan for humanity that I already mentioned earlier, but want to mention again. This idea that God's mission is to redeem and restore people. He has called us, invited us to this ministry of reconciliation, which means that helping people who feel far from God to see that they can belong in the plans and the ways of God. So God's will for you is not that you quit your job and become a pastor. God's will for you is where you are right now that you join with him in the mission of what he is doing. You might be a nurse. You might be a business owner. You might be a landscaper. You might be a plumber. You might be the president of the United States. You might even be a pastor. God's will for you, where you are, is to join with him in his mission, to represent his character to all the people under your influence, to show them what the ways of God look like, to help them understand that they too can be welcomed in. Where you are, you can discover the will of God for your life. It's joining with what he is already doing. In Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, Paul is writing, he writes this, I urge you, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God. This is your spiritual act of service. And get this here. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. You see, when we want to understand what God's will is, we want to, first of all, present ourselves to God as a sacrifice. God, my life is here for you. Use me as you want to use me. But then it says this, don't be conformed to the patterns of the world. The best way to be off track in understanding what God's plan is, is try to fit in in the world that we live in. Now, I'm not saying be completely crazy standing on the you know, corner of the street with signs of doom and gloom or whatever. Although, if God's called you to that, have at it. <laughs> but don't conform to the patterns of the world. Don't make your life all about trying to fit in with the ways that the world wants to live. But be transformed. Change the way you think. Allow the Spirit of God to transform how you look at people, how you look at your work, how you look at your neighborhood, how you look at your city, how you look at your finances. Be transformed how you look at your time. It should be different than those who say, I don't believe there's a God. I don't live for anyone but myself. We want to be transformed as people who live for something bigger. When we do that, we test and see what the will of the Lord is, the mission that he is on that we participate with. The good, acceptable, and pleasing will. You know, I don't think there's been a time in my life that I look back on where I, where I regret 
following the will of God. I can't think of a time when I say, oh, you, you know, where maybe I, I took some time to serve someone who was down and out or, or hurting, or when I took care of someone who was homeless or gave money to someone who was under, uh, underemployed or homeless or needing more or hungry. Times when I reached out and, and, and offered some help to someone who needed help and maybe just my time, maybe just some prayers, maybe compassion. Of all those times that I've done that in my life, and I'm not perfect, and I've had many times where I didn't, but of all those times when I joined in with God is doing, I can't think of one that I regret. It's not once where I say, oh, that was kind of dumb. Why did I do that? See, because I believe when we're joining in with what God is doing and living our lives for Him and on His mission, not our own, it's acceptable, it's pleasing, it's good. Now, is it always easy? No. Does it always give you pleasure? No. But I never regretted it. Never regretted it. I never sent money to a missionary or, or to take care of someone and later say, ah, oh, you know what? I could have had a steak today instead of a hamburger if I wouldn't have done that. <laughs> it's never crossed my mind because the will of the Lord is pleasing and it's perfect. When we get caught up in what God is doing, we'll see this will, His will is good. And let me tell you, where you are right now is good. God wants to use you where you are. He has you where you are for a reason. It may change, but right now you're where you are. So join in what God is doing where you are. That's His will for you. That's wisdom. That's living intentionally. Uh, the last part of the verse for today is this. And we're actually going to just take a brief amount, because this is such a big idea, we're taking all next week to look at it. But in verse 18 it says this, And do not get drunk with wine, for that is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit. So that's how he ends. It's kind of funny as he goes from kind of lofty ideas, and now he says, and don't get drunk with wine, but be filled with the Spirit. Now, to understand don't be drunk with wine in the Greek, it means don't be drunk with wine. And... <laughs> But the idea in their day of what they had in Ephesians, actually in Ephesus, there was this belief that when you got drunk, you filled yourself with the spirit of this God called Dionysus. And, and Dionysus would fill you, so he's essentially saying, don't fill yourself with the spirit of Dionysus, but be filled with the Holy Spirit of God. And Dionysus, they believed, brought them to kind of a point of ecstasy and experience, in, in which we would say today, no, that's called being drunk, my friend. But so it says, don't get drunk, don't fill yourself with Dionysus. Be filled with the Holy Spirit of God. Live intentionally. Now some of you in here this morning are saying, sweet, I get a pass because I hate wine, so this doesn't apply to me. <laughs> but let's make this broader because it's meant to be broader. Don't be controlled by anything except for the Spirit of God. Don't let wine control you. Don't let alcohol control you. Don't let pornography control you. Don't let materialism control you. Don't let your ego control you, your need to be approved by everyone and be better than everyone and, and get ahead in life at the expense of others. Don't let that control you. If you're going to be controlled, be controlled by the Holy Spirit of God. And when I say controlled, I mean filled and influenced by the Holy Spirit of God. That is what we should be filled with. Not all the other things 
that fill us week after week and take up our time and our effort. If we want to live our lives with intentionality, live our lives accurately, if we want to live and not find ourselves one day 12 miles from the parking lot and wake up and say, God, where did I go wrong? We need to be people who are very intentional and accurate in how we live. Now, I'm going to invite the worship team on up, the band, come on up today. <laughs> you may hear this and say, but Ryan, I, uh, I get off track all the time, so now what? Let me just let you know, you are in good company if you get off track. If you say, I don't do this perfectly, and there's times when I, I, I'm so far off, it's say like, yeah, look around. We're your trail mates. We're with you. The idea for us today is to be challenged to have those course corrections. What is it in your life that God's prompting you to say, time to steer it a little bit? It might be your, your conversations. It might be making the most of opportunities with others. For some of you, it might be you have things that are idols in your life and are controlling you. It might be your material possessions. I don't know. And God's saying, how about you can live less for those things and more for me? Maybe it's just understanding that you have a place in God's story today. That's a course correction he's putting you on. And know this, this is the great thing. If you find yourself way off course, unlike my friend and I who had to hike all the way back up the mountain and get back to the parking lot, the way God works is if you're off course, when you turn around, he's right there. Saying, let me set you back where you need to be. You don't have to work your way back to a starting point. Now, you might have some collateral damage that you're going to have to work through. But you don't have to work your way to God. He's right there. Putting you back on course. So as we end our time here with a, a, a few songs of worship, and we're actually going to take the offering as well, so you can drop your connect cards in at the time. During this time, just ask God this. What is it that you're speaking to me today? What is it that I need to understand so that I can live more carefully, intentionally, for you? What do you call me to do today, God? And let's be a church community that responds and doesn't just say, well, that was nice. But say, wow, that was nice and it's tough. But living for you, God, is the best way to live and I'm, I'm in. I'm in. We want to see you transform our community, our lives, our families, our city, the countries we're involved in in Africa. We're in. Use us how you want. Let's be that kind of church. Pray with me. God, we thank you so much for this time. We thank you that you care about each one of us. We thank you that you care about the people that we encounter daily. We thank you that you are concerned about your creation. And God, you're all about restoring and redeeming that which is lost. And Lord, uh, we thank you uh, that you've called us to be a part of that in the times when we have failed, which is often and daily, that you're there with grace. God, would you use us as broken people? to reach broken people. Lord, speak to us today. Speak in us. Transform us. Free us from the things that own us. God, that we may live intentionally as those who are wise, not as fools. 
Thank you for this time.